0: Hello, and welcome to A Rock or Something podcast. I'm Specialist Linwood Thomas, and today's topic is physical therapy. I'm joined by a couple of guests. Uh, Gentlemen, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you do
1: I'm Major Nathan Parsons. I'm a physical therapist for the Army, currently assigned uh, here in Kosovo as part of uh, K-426.
2: Captain Joshua Oliver. Uh, I'm a physician working with Test Force Med Regional Command East.
0: Okay. Uh, First question is, um, can you distinguish uh, your interaction with physical therapy and yours? Like... uh, I know that you're the physical therapist, so is there a process? Would I come and see you or come and see you first? How does that
1: work? Well, there's two schools of thought on that. <laughs> and so, uh, typically, for, for generations or for years, you know, physical therapy has been a referral based uh, specialty where a patient uh, goes through the gateway of, of the medical system and sees their primary care provider. And as that provider determines that physical therapy is indicated, they place a referral, then they show up in our clinic and we evaluate and treat them for neuromuscular little, skeletal conditions. Um, but with the current research over the past few decades, um, we are moving more towards a direct access setting where physical therapists can see their patients directly without a physician referral, and it's on us to recognize when that patient is not appropriate for physical therapy, and we refer them back to the primary care providers, which ends up being more efficient for the system.
0: Okay. I anything to add?
2: I just that uh, the civilian side and insurance companies are largely doing the same thing, where like Traditionally, physical therapist wants to get reimbursed. They got to see uh, a physician first to, that, to refer them, but they're, they're not having to do that anymore to get paid okay. for their services.
0: Cutting out the man, That's right. so to speak. Okay, so uh, first let's talk about um, a few things that physical therapy can help. I have a list of things that I found, and um, I'd like you to expound on those. Sure. Okay, pain management with reduced need for opioids.
1: Okay,
0: so is that like the March
1: that's March? Um, that's definitely the big move now as as the opioid crisis is you know exploded in our nation. Uh, that is the move now uh, moving forward. Is that pain management through conservative treatment, through non-pharmacological, non-pharm, right, through exercise, cognitive-based, you know, rehabilitation or therapy to change the mindset, change pain processing, and learn to move and more effectively with your pain, you know, and I think a big part of that is expectation management for these patients to understand that they can still lead a healthy and normal life despite having a chronic pain problem without rather than let it be a debilitating issue. Um, I think that's definitely becoming more and more a focus of the physical therapy world, especially at the congressional level where our, you know, our governing organizations are lobbying Congress for more physical therapy inclusion in, in the medical system for that reason
0: okay avoiding surgery
1: yes that is also a huge area of physical therapy lately Um, recent medical studies have shown that conservative management is just as effective if not more effective than surgery for a lot of um, overuse conditions that i would say that not necessarily trauma if somebody blows out their knee and there's, you know, fractures or torn ligaments that may require a reconstructive surgery, but for things that happen gradually over time, where they have a mild meniscus tear that is worsened with impact activity or overhead sh- um, pain in their shoulder with oh, too much weight lifting, there's no real indication that those patients at large are served better by physical therapy, or by surgery, I apologize, physical therapy is just as effective or more effective at the one to two year mark. Um, And and so that's been becoming a big focus is why undergo unnecessary surgery and expose yourself to that risk when you you could get just as good of a benefit um, managing it on your own.
0: Okay, uh, before we move forward, um, I've heard you say conservative management a couple yes.
1: of times. Can you
0: tell me what that is so I can process? Uh,
1: conservative management is just the least invasive option for treatment, right? And so um, to an extent, you know, self-management would be the most conservative where the patient takes care of their, their own issues, right? Let's You know, rides the course of a mild illness, waits for the passage of time to let it, let an area of pain get better, Um then the next level, you know, would be medication, you know, pharmacological intervention. And Dr. Alvin kind of expound on those levels of medications, physical is included in that, right? We're not doing typically any invasive treatment or aggressive treatment. It's more, you know, we evaluate and help institute a treatment plan that the patient is in charge of themselves. And then more non-conservative management or invasive treatment would be when, you know, whether it, and it's an injection or it's a surgical intervention or something along those lines, it becomes non-conservative. Got it. I understand
0: cool improved mobility and movement
1: yeah that's just the basic thing uh, of of evaluating how a patient moves and, and whether they have uh, limited mobility due to passive tightness like tight muscles tight joints versus poor stability they don't know how to move appropriately like they don't know how to engage the muscles or they have weakness uh, and and we can evaluate that through our visit and determine the best plan to improve that patient's motion and get them, ultimately trying to get them back to do the activities that they want to do. Patients come and see because they can't do something or something hurts and our goal is to figure out why it hurts and to help them on a path so that it doesn't hurt anymore.
0: What type of things lead to uh, decreased mobility?
1: Uh, sedentary behavior uh, and so you know the old uh, saying that if you don't use it you lose it and, and so especially in our older populations people have been desk bound or sedentary for you know years <laughs> they, they get adaptive tightening hamstrings get tight lumbar spine gets tight uh, you know they lose the ability to use some of these acti- do some of these motions perform some of these activities um, some of its genetics uh, you know some people are just tighter than others some people are more flexible than others um, but also overuse activity so that's what we see more in our younger populations especially our you know our active duty soldier populations our, you know our young males who spend most of their time in the weight room facing a mirror and, and lifting weights that they could, you know to improve muscles that they can see and so they tend to get adaptive tightening you know in, in their biceps in in their pecs because they overuse that motion and they don't balance it out
0: oh wow so you can okay from overworking you right. can be tight also and underworking—that's that's that's, a, that's good to know <laughs> Cause I, because I like to work out. Um, let's see, another thing that physical therapy can help is recovery from injury or trauma, yes?
1: Yes, uh, and that can be, you know, we talked about surgery or post-surgery. Whenever there's an injury to the system, there's an inflammatory process, right? And, and so t- to a certain extent, that part needs time. To, to, you know for your body to proceed through those stages of recovery you know from an acute problem to a subacute and hopefully resolved over time and physical therapy can help guide that process both through an exercise or hands-on intervention but also education and expectation management with the patient so they understand what they're in store for how to not make themselves worse and what do they need to do to get you know meet their goals and get all the way better
2: something on that um a lot of times, uh, even still, like uh, myself or a surgeon or whatever might perform an intervention or be the first line pa- for a patient to encounter. I might, I might be the first person that a patient encounters for an injury or whatever, um, and I might give them some medication, medications or refer them to a specialist. But in reality, most of the time, the person who's actually going to help them recover is the physical therapist. Okay. I give medications to make the pain go away, but I don't do anything to, that doesn't do anything to heal anybody. And I can give them a packet or a pamphlet that educates them on stretching, but the person who actually makes them better is the physical therapist. And there's a big misconception of, from, that patients have about when they go to a physical therapist. Like I just go to a session however many times a week for the duration of my physical therapy and then I'm fine. It's like, no, if you've hurt yourself, whatever you're taught to do in physical therapy, that's kind of just something you do now. Um, uh, Like when you go to the gym, for the the most part, whatever you're taught at physical therapy, that's just now something, not every day, but probably most days, that you're working into your routine. Like for example, I hurt my shoulder, my right shoulder, when I was a volunteer firefighter and uh, um, uh, EMS. And I went to physical therapy eventually after trying a bunch of other stuff and I got better. But now the exercises they taught me in physical therapy are things that I just do at the gym on my own. As It's not necessarily, it's working out, but it's also what I do to so I'm not in pain. Does that make sense? Yes. Anyway, sort of.
1: No, I think that touches more on that topic of that, you know, the biggest predictor of a future injury is a past injury. So people who have hurt themselves once are more likely to hurt themselves again. And, and so a physical therapy program, you know, if it's a true and acute problem, something that, that's happened once, we can often get those patients all the way better, and they may or may not continue with that exercise plan. But people who have, this has been a recurring issue for, becomes a chronic issue where they've had it for months or years, he's exactly right. Like this is kind of something they need to, need to incorporate in their routine as part of their management strategy for their condition. I think the, the biggest thing is that you know, he said that we're the reason patients get better, and I think we, we are a huge role in that, but I, what I just try to avoid is convincing the patient I'm the reason they're getting better. I want the patient to think they're the reason they're getting better, right? And so I guide the process, I educate the patient, but a successful closure of physical therapy is when the patient is in control of their problem and they're the one managing it with the tips and the guidelines or the exercises or or anything that I've provided, but I don't want them to be dependent on me every time their pain comes up, especially if it's an issue that they're going to have for the long term. You know, if they get an acute flare-up or something happens and they need to get a boost with physical therapy to see me again, great, but I don't need somebody to come in once a month indefinitely just to get tuned up or just, you know, to, to feel like, you know, I'm a mechanic and they're bringing their car into the shop. I want them to have ownership of that problem.
0: Okay. Okay, so uh, a few more things that I have are recovery from stroke or paralysis, fall prevention, improved balance, management of age-related medical problems. Um, I think that you've kind of touched on a few of those in some way or form.
1: In in general, you're touching on more of a geriatric model. It's, you know... paralysis or stroke, that's a very specific field. You may see that more commonly in the civilian world. We obviously don't typically see that in the military. Or if they do, they're seeing a specialist at a higher level of care than I typically provide. Um, But geriatrics is its own field in physical therapy and medicine because age-related change happens to us all and there are things that are predictable and that we can't avoid (laughs) and that require intervention, but to be honest, I love seeing geriatric or older patients because they're more reasonable. <laughs> they under, Typically, they understand what's going on and why it's happening to their age, and they're more compliant with the plan of care, and they are they don't expect to be 100% better immediately. They, they look for quality of life, and they know that as they get older, they can expect to feel a bit of pain, or they can expect to have some loss of functional activity over time, but we can try to minimize that loss through an exercise plan for sure. But it's the younger soldiers who tend to be you know or not necessarily even the younger the you know the mid thirties to forties soldiers who want to f- be like they were when they were twenty, but that they, they don't have the same expectations okay. <laughs> or, or proper expectations, and that's part of our challenge is to educate them accordingly Got it I understand that
0: okay, so moving forward um what are some of the most common injuries that result in physical therapy
2: um <clears throat> So I send Major Parsons a lot of shoulder injuries, um, particularly amongst this population uh, that we have right now um, of people who, you know, National Guard soldiers who maybe aren't going to the gym every day at home, but now they are, um, and in whom stretching has not been emphasized as a as a necessary part of working out, who are you know suddenly going and doing bench presses every day. Um, I'm seeing a lot of shoulder injuries. Um, there's also quite a bit of knee. Um, that's probably the two most common things that I send to you uh, are, are shoulder and knee, but there's also a lot of um, acute and chronic low back pain um, and then the kind of the full gambit of, of sports injuries. Uh, there's been less lower leg like ankle stuff, but he still gets some of that stuff as well.
0: And um, so, is it coming from majority of sports or like what soldier related things are going on that are causing these injuries? Um, I would say that,
2: and I don't, I don't want to like say something to, to, you know, say people should stop doing this because they shouldn't, but um, weight training, maybe with an improper technique seems to be a big culprit um and the fix to that honestly is having a partner to spot you and maybe as simple as youtubing somebody doing it the right way um but uh i don't know what else uh am i missing here
1: well, from the big picture, I think the two categories of injuries that get referred to physical therapy. He he touched on it. Is you have an acute problem, and maybe you know you can have acute traumatic injury, and you can have a o- kind of mild subacute to chronic like overuse injury, right? And so Which
2: just just so we just so you the audience knows, acute means just happened, chronic means it's been going on for a long time.
1: Or so overuse versus. Traumatic, right? So traumatic happened to a specific injury problem, overuse, gradual onset with repetitive activity over time. That's where I see, for the most part, like the shoulders and oftentimes the knees that I see from Dr. Oliver are more of that overuse problem. And I will say more than than any sport we've had here, um, weight training is the biggest but,
2: softball was big when softball was going yeah, on. Yeah,
1: um, a it, little bit of flag football, Yeah, that kind of thing. We we saw a fair amount of, but those patients tended to be more of that acute traumatic where they sprained their ankle, they sprained their knee, it got better in a few weeks, and they kind of gradually stopped seeing me. The patients that linger are the ones who tweak themselves in the gym, <laughs> and then they don't want to stop going to the gym. <laughs> and, and they don't, and they, they're not managing their pain the most effectively. Um, we haven't had any. We've had a fair, a, a few more significant traumatic injuries from you know slips, trips, or falls, or or sport-related thing, but not nearly as many as we just get. You know, painful shoulders from too much bench pressing.
0: And nothing really um, tactical training-related, like
1: we. No, <laughs> unfortunately, in this environment, uh, we have not had any any like real. Uh, I mean, but that's good Battle that injuries.
0: to are um the, the work that our safety yeah, briefs are doing. Maybe. It's a good thing.
2: There, <laughs> there have been a couple accidents recently that are more related to ice um, and equipment being iced over than, okay. than anything. Um,
0: Got it. Great. That's great. So how does, big question, how does physical therapy affect the population of soldiers with profiles?
2: Um, it, so the goal is to get them off of the profile or get them in a place where they can, and I'll stop talking in a second, um, but, um, get them in a place where they can train themselves out of the profile. Like, I don't know how other providers write profiles, but when I write a profile for say like it's, you're going to walk the PT test as opposed to running the PT test, I always write it as if you can still walk, uh, march, run at your own pace and distance. Um, you're just not running for the PT test so that they can keep training. Because the way – like the, a profile will auto-populate on its own, and it says no marching, no running at all, which is like well, how are you supposed to get better if you can't train towards that. But anyway, sorry.
1: No, you're so, fine. I think that – what specifically what you just said runs a fine line of – There are patients who can work through their pain and continue to run at a reduced intensity or reduced pace and get better. And there are patients who honestly need a break from running. Uh, And there are templates in there who – templates saying like a pre-populated – Profile that we can adjust accordingly, but that um, we tend to classify patients as minimal, moderate or severe. Minimal being they just need a little bit of reduced activity. They're most of the way better. They can continue with most things. Moderate being they can do a fair amount, but impact activity in particular, at least for lower body, impact activity is running, jumping, marching, maybe needs to be more restricted or avoided. And severe being this is a patient probably on crutches or in severe pain, a leg brace, something where they need to be very minimal. Um, activity in regards to physical exercise. Now they can. we have to work with them on their other activities. In an ideal world, we, the, the role in that is the physical therapy is often the one writing more of those profiles and managing the patient, progressing. So the goal is, you know, if we have a patient starts on severe, is to go to moderate, to go to minimal, to come off profile and return to full duty. Um, it, when I say the ideal world is that units are supposed to have a program where patients show up to profile PT, right, or reconditioning PRT, where they are classified according to the profile they're on, and they engage in a unit PT plan that meets the, you know, the requirements of their profile without pushing them too far, but allows them to stay fit and progresses them back to regular activity. Now, I've seen some units do that well and have a great program and, and where the therapist may be involved as the OIC or just be a consultant to helping the program get going. Um, and I've seen plenty of units disregard all, the entire structure the Army has built for that and try to do it on their own. And those are the units that typically run five or six days a week and only do is push-ups and sit-ups. And that's why we have the Army Combat Fitness Test coming out, is to change that culture.
0: Okay, um, anything to that?
2: There's uh, been a big change uh, over the last five to 10 years in what kind of medical assets a brigade combat team has in it. And one of the things that, that, that for the same reasons that Major Parsons is talking about, that a brigade commander wants is physical therapists at the brigade level, and also they're trying to make it at the battalion level as well, because they really do get soldiers back in the fight better than anybody, you know? Like they, they like from what exactly he was talking about, if there's a structured program targeted towards people's rehab to get back to a fully functional level, it just is, it saves money, um, and it improves readiness, and that's that's, going to remain a, um, uh, like a buzzword in the military for the foreseeable future. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you for that segue. Um, Speaking of readiness uh, and staying in a fight, um, so we are all Army soldiers. We're warriors. Um, There is a culture among soldiers um, that sometimes keeps them away from profiles, they see them as a negative thing. Um, I'm guilty of this to some degree where um, you know, you'll feel something and uh, just try to fight through it or just ignore it completely and, and just keep it moving. Um, let's talk about the, the dangers of avoiding profiles or, or just having that mentality.
1: Well, I think there's levels to that of the danger. The one is, and you know, we've talked about that acute versus chronic. It's that if you don't deal with it when it's an acute problem, when it's just happened and you first have pain and you keep the same activity going and and you don't address the the underlying issue that becomes a chronic problem, and people all too often drive through that at their younger rank days, right? Our our lower soldiers, our junior NCOs, uh, and then they come see me when they're a senior NCO and they've had pain for ten plus years, and they want it fixed before they retire in a year or two. That's not going to happen, right? Now we're talking lifestyle management. How are you going to work with this and adjust your life accordingly? Or they end up on a permanent profile, or they end up, you know, being leaving the military before they intended because of this problem and so that's the that's what you run the risk of now there's a difference between a a sick call ranger who shows up for every ache and pain he's ever had you know he shows up to sick call after a 12 mile ruck because he's got a blister or you know his his feet are sore okay i get it you should have expected that that's why we train and that's and that's part of this issue you know but if he rolls his ankle mile six and is continues the 12 mile road march and he finishes that and he can barely get his boot off because his ankle is so swollen but he's encouraged not to go to pt that's a problem like that's the patient i need the earlier we see that patient the better he's going to do
2: it's just it's the same it's the same thing like uh, you know it, it's a fine line like <sighs> with the whole um the whole sick hall ranger thing um uh just because it, it i mean that it's a, it's a thing. It's you know it's it's a legitimate uh, thing, and you don't want to you can't deny people access to care. Uh, but like as a as a commander, you want to encourage people to get taken care of. But at the same time, there's that that conflict there with you know everybody like oh it's raining out, so I better go to sick call, um, kind of a thing. I don't see that much here because we don't go on a lot of ruck marches you know, um, and if they do, if they they happen, they're voluntary. Uh, so in, in this environment, that's not really a concern that I have. Um, but yeah, you you need to go get seen and potentially get in physical therapy if you have an injury. Um, right,
0: so my question was more specifically for those soldiers who might view profiles as as a weakness, uh, because that's the thing, like I can't. I have a profile, so I can't perform to the, the best of my ability physically, um, and so I'm I'm less of a soldier. Uh, talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, if you if you're gonna use the war right, you talked about we're all warriors, right? And a warrior is also another way to think of that is that we're professional athletes, right? That's a, a comparison you see a lot in the medical world is that we are we are especially when we get in our infantry population, we are paid professional warriors right or and it's similar and equivalent to an athlete when you know when somebody sprains their ankle in the nba they take a few games off they have a professional training team they're receiving treatment all day long at the cutting edge of everything that is out there to get them back to the fight as quick as possible that's what your physical therapy team should be doing for these units is that rather than a detriment we're not you don't need to be afraid to come and see us you should be coming to see us to get yourself back in the fight at your most effective as quick as possible because if you are at eighty percent capacity because of a bum knee or because your low back hurts, you know, depending on what your job is, are you putting your, you know, your battle buddies at risk? Are you less effective for the mission? Are you unable to, you know, meet your training objective, whatever that is? And if taking a knee for a little while to get yourself to a hundred percent is actually going to save you time and effort in the long run, that's what you should be doing.
2: The other side of that is soldiers will tell me when they come in that they don't want a profile often. And I will work with them on, on stuff, um, and there's there's a small group of soldiers even here on Camp On Steel, um, all from the same unit, uh, that will not come and see us in the hospital. So a lot of times what will happen is, is they'll see uh, Major Parsons or myself at the gym, and they'll like, I'm not coming to the hospital, but my knee hurts. It's like, all right, well, damn it, um, let's look at it now, I guess. Uh, um, because they're, they're so afraid of getting a profile they won't even come to the hospital. And that's been a deployment long process of building trust, so to let them know like, you're in charge, you come and see me as the patient, unless you tell me you want to hurt yourself or somebody else, you're in charge, and I'm going to guide my treatment based off of what you want. And if you don't want a profile, I'll do my best, sometimes I have to do it, but um, we'll, we can tailor things based off of what their wishes are, if that makes sense
0: does make sense. Uh, so I have, I have a scenario. Um, so we, uh, Major Parsons, um, had the opportunity to speak while I was in VLC and I told you that I was having some trouble with my leg uh, because after the PT test and the run, um, I don't feel that pain anymore. Um, is there a, a need to still come and see you?
1: If you are not functionally limited and you're not having any pain, I would say no. But if, it, if you realize that even if you don't have pain, you're unable to do an activity that you either need to do or want to do and you find you're restricted or you can't do it to your normal effort, even if there's no pain, I would say that would, would be a good reason to come in and see me. Or if it creeps back up, right? And like you, you're running now, you're not, you know, BLC obviously was increased physical activity over a short period of time, right? A few weeks of really intense activity. Your body is going to need time to recover from that for a week or two. I would probably tell you or a similar patient, Give it a week or two, see how you feel, and if it's a lingering problem, come in and be seen. But if it's just aches and pains due to the increased intensity of what you were doing, give it some time to cool down a little bit.
0: Okay, so um, not necessarily um, lingering, but definitely recurring. So would that be a reason to come? Yeah, It it doesn't hurt right now.
1: If this is an issue you've had re- several times or multiple times in the past and it's never been addressed, I don't think it would be a bad thing for you to be seen. At the very least, even if it's a one-visit session just to say, this is what I, you know, from my professional opinion to be like, this is what I think is causing this problem. Here are some strategies to mitigate that pain or that limitation that you're having, whether it's an exercise program or some activity modification on how to lift better, how to run better, how to do any of these things. Then and you can take that with you and work on it and then you could Oftentimes what I do with patients here who come in just for something that's bugging them in that situation, they're not greatly limited, they have a little bit going on, it's kind of bugging them, I give them a, just tell them to follow up as needed. Try this for a few weeks. If it's going great, your issue is addressed and you don't feel the need to come in, you don't have to come in more than once. But if you're like, you know what, that was really helpful, I want to build on that, or the pain came back and we need to try something different, that's all a reason to you know, make another appointment.
0: Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about PT plans. Um, So, as active-duty soldiers, uh, we follow PT plans uh, daily for our our workouts. Um, Do you think it's a good idea for the physical therapist to be involved in constructing that PT plan?
1: Can we clarify PT is physical training versus physical therapy? Yes, yes. There's two PTs. It's it's a common thing that I get confused with. Physical training. So, So, should I be involved... Um, Not with every single soldier, right? There's not enough time in the day. Um, Now, on a unit level, potentially to oversee it, um, but the most important group would be that profile PT group, right? The reconditioning PRT group who is injured or on profile, that's where the therapist is going to make the best bang for his buck. The healthy population probably doesn't need as much direct intervention. Now, what he touched on earlier and that we should probably talk a little bit more about you know, the idea of putting a physical therapist at the battalion level, right? And so that's the, arm, the move the Army is moving towards in the next few years is the Holistic Health and Fitness Program, where we are going to have a ramped up injury prevention team in our combat units, okay? So currently, um, most BCTs will have a therapist assigned, but that's one person for 3,000 to 4,000 or more soldiers, and you're supposed to do injury prevention and patient care, and there's just not enough time in the day to fully do both missions and do them well. And so the move now is to have, um, still have an overseer of the, of the therapy, like the physical therapy and rehabilitation problem at the brigade staff level, uh, you know, but now we're going to start having battalion level physical therapists who are able to see just their patients in their battalion and oversee the physical training program. The move is to also to have um, a physical therapist, a professional strength coach, uh, a, di- and a dietitian, as well as an occupational therapist to focus on both upper extremity injuries and combat stress control. And so we're putting these teams into these units in order to try to prevent more injuries, right? Because it's, it's better to prevent an injury than treat it after it's happened. If we can prevent these injuries from happening to begin with, it makes everybody's life easier. Uh, and so that is the move towards that. And so that, and now that therapist in a battalion will be involved in the actual unit training plan. Maybe not necessarily for the individual who's continuing to go to the gym on their own, although they could be seen for that and just ask for any advice, but for the unit planning training plan at large. Um, and what we're seeing from my, intera- I don't have any official data on this, but my interactions with some of my friends who are in these roles, um, they had to convince the unit to give them You know, ownership of the unit training and they were specifically they were at the 82nd and they love to run. And so they had to convince the battalion commander to let them stop running so much. And and that unit saw a massive jump. Um, I think they went from like 82 to 92 percent readiness uh, over a several month period uh, because they cut down on running. Right. That's the biggest thing that we see. non-medical readiness for in the young active duty population is too much running right it doesn't add to our overall fitness or mission capability and it causes the most injuries and so if we can reduce the amount of miles and you know focus more on quality it's not that we need to stop running completely but if we can restrict the amount of long distance running we're doing especially for soldiers who are not physically designed for it due to (laughs) either their own genetics or their own waistlines we can prevent a lot of the issues that are limiting us in the long run and focus more on a well-balanced plan. And that's what this, you know, H2F is what you'll hear in the next coming years, holistic health to fitness, or holistic health and fitness. That is going to be the new move at, as we see the ACFT take over as the new test of standard. These units are going to be tasked, you know, these teams are going to be tasked with making that change, uh, starting with our combat units and eventually spreading Army-wide.
0: Okay. Uh, Speaking of balance, uh, how do you feel about yoga? Like, in your professional opinion, is it uh, a benefit to soldiers? Uh, Should it be worked into?
1: You know, I I think, well, flexibility training in general should always be a part of a well-balanced PT plan. Does it have to be, you know, a specific type of yoga? Does the patient like it or does the soldier enjoy it? are they more likely to do it and does it have you know do they feel better when they they've done it then that that goes for any program any whether it's you know pilates or yoga or high intensity training or power lifting does it help them meet their personal fitness goals and, and, the, and then, you know, the combat effectiveness of their unit? And are they likely to stay with it and do it consistently? That's the thing is yoga is not for everybody because there's going to be plenty of people who think it's stupid and don't want to partake. And then if they're that, then they're not going to be bought into it and they're not going to want to c- continue to perform it. But if they love it and they've s- seen some pain relief from it, if they've improved their mobility and they, they stick with it, whether it's prescribed or it's on their own, Then that's effective for that patient but that might be different for you know for each one of us in this room we probably have our own desired physical training strategy um and that everybody has the choice you know everybody has the right to pick what they want to do to for their own fitness to some extent
2: i i think yoga is great when i've done it on my own (laughs) but the problem is is that you know in the in any organization you get what you measure and you get what you incentivize. And what's being measured is the APFT and now the ACFT, and, and you're incentivized to, to do well on that. And yoga doesn't train you for any of those things. It might prevent injuries, but yoga doesn't, it doesn't like focus on you know any of those, those aspects. So I, it's any, any physical activity is good for you unless you're like you're hitting yourself in the head with a hammer or something. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like right. any physical activity is good for you, um, and including yoga. But it doesn't hit like doing yoga won't necessarily make you better at a deadlift. You know what I'm saying?
1: Right. And specifically, you know, our because we're in the army and we're professional warriors, as you said. Our ultimate goal is to be ready, right, for, for combat, right? And we're in the Army. We're the greatest, you know, force for land power in the world, and we have to be ready to have those fights. Yoga's not going to prepare you to put your ruck on, carry a heavy weapon, cover mileage, you know, engage in a firefight, whatever that is. Not that's all of our jobs, but that's ultimately – we're either a warfighter or we're supporting the warfighter, being in the military. The ACFT and the type of training it promotes – does directly carry over to that, right? And so, if yoga is something you do once a week with your unit, or you do it on your own, I think that's great. That can't be your whole program. Like that's not gonna, like he said, it's not gonna prepare you for the deadlift or, or any of these new ACFT events. And the the point of those events is to carry over to combat effectiveness.
2: It will prevent injuries. I would say it, you're doing yoga probably would prevent
1: injuries or help you recover from an injury. Right, right? for sure. Yeah core core we all we all can benefit from core stability right. and some of the other inflexibility and, and the other things that yoga promotes
2: I'm not saying don't do it but that shouldn't
1: be like a unit training exercise plan right. by itself not by itself right but yeah. it can be a part of a larger plan
0: okay let's see when a soldier comes in for uh, with an injury. Um, who decides if that soldier is beyond repair or rehabilitation?
1: Oh, that's a layered question. It's a response uh, yeah, you're
2: asking about a bureaucracy that is nebulous even to people who are inside of it, which is us. Um, uh, that's that's uh, if somebody's on a profile for longer than a year. Um, that's when you start to, um, like a, a permanent profile that prevents you from doing a PT test pretty much at all. That's when you start to go before a med board. Um, and that doesn't mean you're done in the military. That just means you, um, like a, a med board is a way to, to that you might be kicked out of the military because you're, or medically retired or whatever they decide to do. But it might also just be like, okay, you can't, you no longer can be an 11 Bravo because you can't run because of injuries you sustained. And just to clarify this, most of the time, unless there's disciplinary stuff going on as well, if you're a soldier going through a med board, if you tell the med board, I want to stay in the military, I know I can't do this job, but I'll reclass into something else, but I want to stay in the military, most of the time, again, unless you're flagged for something, disciplinary-wise, UCMJ-wise, most of the time, the military will work, will work with you. Because they've already invested so much into you at that point. Um, but um, I just, you know, we're talking about kicking people out of the military. I just want to say, like, if you're motivated and it's clear that you're motivated, most of the time, a med board will recommend reclassification, if that makes any sense.
1: To a less physically intense job. Right, like,
2: you know, I, like, maybe not 11 Bravo, but you could maybe be in a, a truck driver or, or something. I don't know. Pick your... Pick your job,
1: yeah. But to answer that question, what he said—that's a very complex process through a lot of steps of the process once they, they've entered into it. But it, the process starts with the medical providers determining that this patient isn't is not able to meet their required duties, right? And then they are referred to the medical evaluation board, um, and then that ball gets rolling. Um, And that's usually not one provider. That's usually a conversation amongst many. And so if he's the primary care provider and I'm the physical therapist, he's going to reach out to me after I've seen this patient for several months and I have an idea what, what their prognosis is or how they're going to do in the long term. And I give him my impressions. Usually physical therapy is not enough. They have to go to see an orthopedist or orthopedic surgeon and they can determine, does this could this patient potentially benefit from a surgery or not? And they'll give their recommendations. Maybe they end up seeing pain management, and that you know all these other specialty providers have to make our recommendations. And then somebody like Dr. Oliver, a primary care pro- well, here he's a primary care provider. He wouldn't be making these decisions back home. <laughs> it's probably
2: why I say it's debilitated because I'm an ER doctor, so I don't I don't do this at at home. Um, but at, at some, some level,
1: a primary care yeah. provider for this patient has to. To have a conversation with the patient and be like, "This is what we've determined. This is where we think you need to go," you know, and and then they refer them to that process, and then that becomes out of our hands to fulfill.
2: It's also different for everybody, mm-hmm. right? So commanders want, like, if you were a brigade commander and you went to your brigade surgeon and said, "I want a tracker for every person that's going through a med board," it's like I can't do that because it's completely different for every soldier that's going through
1: a med board there's a lot of considerations that go into
2: it i probably gave you too much of an answer there but
0: no that's that's perfect martin
1: typically that process takes a long time to move through and they are working on streamlining that and, and especially patients where it's it's more clear that they're unable to stay due to significant injury or other you know other health factors whether behavioral health or physical health they're trying to move that more of a faster process for the patient's benefit and for the Army's benefit so that they reach an end state quicker and they they understand where they're going.
0: Understood. So right now we're gonna talk about some misconceptions about physical therapy. Um, I have a list of myths and uh, you can elaborate as you see fit. Um, All physical therapists are the same.
1: Oh no, I mean no per- all people aren't the same, right? Physical therapy is is a profession and it's a, it's a career but it's not an identity. <laughs> so uh, everybody has their own personal bias they bring to it. They have their own training history and what they've learned and how they've been taught. I'm a, you know, I'm a fellowship trained manual therapist so I use my do hands-on intervention and I think in a different way based on the way I've been trained. And so I'm going to look at a patient differently than a brand new grad who just came out of school or a, patient, a therapist who may not have the same official training as me but has been practicing for 30 years. They're going to, We're all going to see patients differently because you're based on our personal experience and training. And so that's going to be different for every therapist you see. To benefit and to not, you know, that it can make you a better therapist. It can make you a worse therapist based, you're, you're, you know, relying too much on your personal history and experience.
2: He'd probably also be different depending on what kind of unit he's in, depending on what the, like the, the character of the unit is. Like if he's here versus uh, um, a special forces unit or an armor unit, there's just different injury patterns that's gonna influence how he deals with, with things. Does that make sense? Also what a commander wants, because it's like a lot, of, a lot of, not all of our decisions, uh, probably even only a small fraction of them, but some of our decisions that we make are influenced by what the commander wants and what the mission
1: is. Make
0: sense? Roger. Um physical therapy is going to hurt.
1: I think that's a big misconception. A lot of people, you know, talk about no pain, no gain, or or PT means pain and torture. And I think that's an unfortunate misconception. Um, because it shouldn't, but sometimes it does. <laughs> and it doesn't always need to. There are conditions where the known course of that progression of that problem involved the research would tell us that pain is a part of the process When i'm thinking specifically of a, a tendinopathy or somebody who has a problem with their like their patellar tendon or their Achilles tendon the research would suggest that that issue requ- is, takes a long time to get better and it takes a lot of consistent loading and strengthening exercise which tends to be mildly to moderately uncomfortable that's part of our education strategy to the patient and that you know a little bit of pain is probably ex- expected and acceptable but too much pain is bad I would say that with a lot of what we do, that condition is like more clearly supported by science where other <laughs> conditions we seek to create pain free environments, but that's not always the case right and so physical therapy is probably going to be challenging, but hurt is probably to the perception of the patient some you know if I had a, a nickel for every time a patient told me they have a high pain tolerance, then I'd be quite a lot richer than i am now yeah <laughs> because that's a common concept they're like oh, I have a su- those are the patients that usually complain about pain the most that's true and so yeah don't tell me you
2: have a high pain tolerance. Pain, I'm like, pain I is I a subjective
1: experience right it's only it's literally in your head it's your body's receptors telling your brain what it's experiencing and that's different for every patient and so um the misc and, and if a patient comes into physical therapy thinking it's going to hurt it might set them up for failure and so a big piece of what we do is education and explaining to the patient what's wrong, explaining to them what's happening in their body and, and, and in a way that they can understand and helping outline a way for them to get better. What is what is the path moving forward to deal with this pain? And that's a, it's going to be different for every patient I sit across from.
0: Okay. Could I tell myself that something doesn't hurt and it not hurt?
1: That is one school of thought. I, I would tell you that it's probably it's a pain is a very complex thing, uh, and so you know there's whole books on that that are basically convincing yourself that things don't hurt and they stop hurting. <laughs> I think. I think you start to see that more, and when you start to combine physical rehab and behavioral health interventions, cognitive behavioral therapy, it, I think is where you'll see a lot of the research move towards in the future, because there are cognitive interventions that you can perform and help people retrain how they experience pain and how do they learn to live with it and move forward despite it. And those those patients do tend to feel less pain over time as they respond well to treatment. Um, but if somebody just sprained their ankle and it's you know the size of a grapefruit. It's probably going to hurt no matter if they tell themselves it's going to hurt or not, right? That's a different situation. I think more where you see that literature is in like our chronic low back pain population. People's backs have hurt for a long time. There's no one structure that we're going to point at and say, this is why your back hurts, but that's where you need education and behavioral strategies matter the most in conjunction with a physical activity plan.
0: Okay. Uh, we've touched on this already, but um, you have to see a doctor before you can see a physical therapist.
1: I think that is a situation we're moving away from because there's only so much doctors, right? Why He's an ER doctor. Why waste his time with patients who have musculoskeletal aches and pains that he's just going to give them medication, right? And maybe some exercise plan, but he's going to tell them to follow up their PCM and filter them to me. He doesn't, he needs to save people's lives, right? He has a different skill set than I do. I am the provider who is specifically trained to see musculoskeletal injuries, evaluate them, and treat them, and determine do they belong in my clinic or do they belong in the ER if it's a life threatening condition or do they belong with their primary care manager if I think it's a condition that's not musculoskeletal at heart. We are trained to perform that screening process. And for a long time, people, they, you know, a primary care provider has been the onus has been on them and they're overworked to do all of that when they should be sharing the load with us a bit more. And I think that's what we're moving towards, specifically in the military, is a direct access setting where we have physical therapists at sick call with the primary care providers and they're able to see patients directly and get them routed. And it's often better for the patient because earlier intervention often leads to better outcomes. And so rather than go through a four to eight week process before they come and see me, why not see me immediately and start that process now? And why not let them focus on things that are more their skills set are suited for better?
0: Makes sense. Next, um, myth. To be a physical therapist, you just need a certification.
1: (laughs) No, you need... In the American system... Um, you know, we're, we're in Kosovo now, and I've obviously, well, not obviously, but I've worked with the civilian physical therapy population, and, and their training system is different, but they still require degrees. Um, to go to physical therapy, you have to have an undergraduate degree. It doesn't matter what it's in as long as you have the required prerequisite courses to enter a physical therapy program. And then you go to graduate school, and physical therapy has moved to a doctorate of physical therapy Degree A DPT degree is the entry-level degree to be a physical therapist. It used to be a master's. The coursework is still similar to a master's, but you have a longer internship component for practical skills so that you're, you actually know how to see a patient when you graduate. Uh, and so that is a two- to three-year program um, to get a doctorate degree in physical therapy. So you need that to practice. As a, and after you complete that degree, you have to sit for a, li- a national license uh, exam. And once you have passed that exam, you are a licensed physical therapist and you can now practice.
0: Okay. Physical therapists fix people.
1: I think that goes into the mentality that we talked about earlier, where I want patients to fix themselves. You know, I think that my goal is to foster a sense of independence. And and a big buzzword in physical therapy is self-efficacy. So I want the patient to be effective at treating themselves. And that's what i'm trying to build now in a civilian model that may be different if my business model runs on the reimbursement i get and so i want to see a patient for more visits and charge them for more encounters so that i make more money Mm -hmm. but i'm not in that setting in the in the military i want to see a patient as few visits as possible and get them as better as i can as quickly as i can because that's more effective for the patient the unit and myself because there's always a patient at the door waiting to come in and see me and i'm judged on my throughput and how many how well i see patients and the productivity i i mean i'm still productivity i'm not actually making any money from the patients i see but i'm still rated and judged on how productive i am as a therapist and the more patients i see and the more and, and the quicker i get them through the clinic and see more patients behind them the better i am considered <laughs> as if both you know on my official rating in my clinic productivity and so i i don't want to f- I, to an extent, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to fix the patient's mindset so that they can fix themselves. <laughs> and, so, and, that, and that's the relationship that I'm trying to build.
0: Okay, self-efficacy. Now, I'm glad you said that because I had a question, Bernie, um, and you found, you found a way for me to bring it in. Um, and this may be um, crossing some lines into... Um, what a chiropractor does, and I'm not exactly sure that the distinction, maybe you can help me out with that. But, um, well, first, can you make that distinction? What's the difference between a physical therapist and a chiropractor?
1: So, that, that is also a loaded question because we are two different fields that do, there is a fair amount of overlap. Um, I think there is a stereotypical chiropractor. That tends to be the patient who wants to foster the dependency, right? And th- this is not every chiropractor, and I don't think this is even the majority of chiropractors. I think there are some very good ones out there who do good work and they really help patients. But I think the model you get, you have to worry about. And when you and you drive down the road and see like mom and pop chiropractor clinics popping up everywhere, they get paid per visit and, and manipulate. And, and so a chiropractor treats typically treats. Um, you know spinal issues and that may be an oversimplification I think they all can work with extremities I think they can also work with soft tissue depending on their training but oftentimes they're treating the spine from the neck all the way to the lower back Um, and they tend to perform a lot of manipulation treatments where you twist somebody up and you hear a pop in their back and and you're and patients think something has happened that's important. Physical therapists also do that and I do even probably more than most as a manual therapist I treat a lot of spines Um, I think, chiropractors tend to, I think bad chiropractors tend to foster the idea, oh, this thing in your back is out of place. You need to see me two visits over the next a week for the next four to six weeks for me to put that back into place and get you better because they get paid for each one of those visits. Uh, and I think that's a dangerous mindset because I think that creates dependency in the patient on somebody else to control their pain rather than themselves. I don't, like I said, I, don't, I want to be clear, I don't think all chiropractors practice that way, but I think enough of them do that it's a problem. And I've seen it in my own clinics when the Department of Defense or, or a hospital I've worked at employs civilian chiropractors. They fail chiropractic care, then they come and see me, and I have to undo the biggest thing I have to undo is the education they've received and their understanding of their problem. There's no evidence to support that your spine can get out of place unless it's fractured, and then you're seeing him. And so I, I think. It feels good. It, it feels
2: good to have your back popped, uh, but it's like. So as an example of a patient that would benefit from chiropractic, you're in a car accident and you get whiplash, uh,
1: maybe, like,
2: my opinion, I don't mean to badmouth
0: chiropractors. No,
1: I I think you need to be careful. You just said something that I'm very passionate about is is when we talk about cracking the neck or cervical manipulation. That's the way I was going. That... It's very rare, but that can kill people. Yeah, I've seen okay? it. Okay, and I and I've known providers who have performed that. Not a physical therapist. Well, there's one physical therapist I knew who did put somebody. They had to be evacuated from a you know foreign theater because he popped their neck and he, and he they had a stroke, right? And so they were evacuated back home. The majority of those cases in the literature are performed by chiropractors, and because they tend to perform aggressive mobilizations to manipulations without proper screening and and without a whole, more holistic plan, and so. Now I'm on my soapbox here because I am a manual therapist and I've been trained on this. But in my experience, I, I am just as effective mobilizing a spine. And when I say mobilizing, what I mean is a gentle oscillation of moving specific segments in a patient's neck vertebral, you know, different vertebrae to try to find where their pain is and to treat that out and reinforce that with an exercise plan for them to be able to make themselves feel better. I do not manipulate necks because any risk is enough to make me not want to do it. It's, you know, one in millions that it's going to happen. I don't want to find to be that one (laughs) who who causes that patient to have significant problems. It's
2: not as rare as you think.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's just the benefit does not outweigh the risk to me, and I don't think that most chiropractors or some chiropractors would say that. They would say the the benefit is worth the risk, and I do not agree. And I think that's where some of our differences lie on a philosophical level.
0: Okay, so going taking that back to self care, uh, what do you say to those people who uh, self care is in air quotes, mind you? Um, What do you say to those people who like crack their own backs or their own necks like in a frequent manner like because it alleviates some type of pressure or some type of pain
1: you know if it feels good and it's their body i don't have control over what they do to their body and if it feels good and they get relief when they do it that's fine Um, i will tell you that i'm less likely to be to manually intervene or treat a patient if they are a chronic self-manipulator because if something does happen i don't want to be blamed (laughs) (laughs) right because i have to protect myself at some level more than just so if a patient's constantly popping their neck i'm probably not going to manually treat their neck they've moved it enough i'm going to find a different intervention an exercise a stretch something because they've obviously tried that route whether it was through someone else or themselves it's probably time to try something different um you know but occasionally do i twist my neck if it's tight and i hear a little pop and it feels better sure um but i don't like crank it at, to the, you know, as far as it can twist to the right and yank on my head <laughs> because that's something I I would not encourage in my patients. Usually those patients have been doing it for a long time. I don't, I kind of, I can outlay the risks to them or tell them what you know, what the problem is, but I tend to just steer my treatment towards a different path.
0: Okay. So this is a tangent, um, but all a all part of the conversation. Uh, when I, I've, I've heard of people having like chronic back pain and getting like steroid injections, or I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is. An injection, but is okay. an injection of some kind. Um, can, can you talk about that a little bit and how that plays into the whole um, rehabilitation um, process? Or
2: That's not really rehab when I'm doing that. That's usually it, somebody's coming with an acute pain, and I'm treating it with a lidocaine injection, which is a uh, non-narcotic pain medication um, to get them over that acute phase of that pain so that they can either heal on their own or go see physical therapy later. But I'm just trying to take the pain away now and I'm trying to do it in a way that does not involve narcotics. Um, Does that make
0: sense? So that goes back to what you were saying about it just being a, a more temporary fix. Right.
1: Okay. Can I say something? Yeah. So there are levels of injections, right? What he does is probably barely more than non-conservative non-conser- management, right? He, right? He's doing muscular-based trigger point injections. Those can definitely have short-term benefit and make the patient feel better and get them through that acute phase, and they're effective. I've had patients rave to me about the treatment he's performed, um, but they tend to be short, Very short-term, short yeah. right? Most of any intervention that we do through physical therapy or not tends to be short term <laughs> and then and then that's that long term plan we have to build with the patient where they kind of take ownership of it. Um, but there are other kinds of injections that patients receive as well that are much more invasive and direct. You kind of mentioned steroid or like or an epidural injection where they are actually putting the needle down to the level of the spinal cord and spinal root and vertebrae and injecting there. That's that's not what he does. That's not what you receive in an outpatient clinic. Or you, mean you receive an outpatient clinic. You're not gonna receive that from your PCM. You're gonna go see a specialist for that. Um, but I would tell you that those are going to be only temporary benefit as well. You know, are there certain individual patients who can receive several months of relief from that? Sure. And when you look, you know, the, the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration, DOD, VA, just came out with low back pain management guidelines in 2018. And the evidence that they they looked at all the evidence that's out there to make their recommendations to their providers, and those are for short term benefit only, maybe up to two weeks of relief on average, and they should not be like a long term management. Now, if somebody's there are patients who need that, right? There are going to be patients who don't respond to physical therapy. We should be the first line of treatment for any musculoskeletal issue before they go to something more aggressive. There are going to be patients for whatever reason that doesn't respond to our care and need something more aggressive. But they're not all going to get better from that more aggressive treatment either. Some patients, unfortunately, are just going to continue to have pain, yeah. and no matter what we do, now we're trying. We try the lowest level of treatment we can for everybody, and then we escalate to the next level, and hopefully we get more people better. And then it goes and it goes to the point where you have people receiving surgery. Now we probably have people receiving unnecessary surgery because that's they see the person who does the surgery, and that's what they want to do, and so they tell them this is what's going to make you better, uh, and that's why we encourage patients to receive conservative care first but there are patients who need surgery to get better i'm not saying it's completely ineffective i think more people get it than need it yeah. but there are people who need it yeah. uh, who that, their only option you know is is to go have something changed structurally at their spine or other body part whatever body region we're talking about there are patients who need surgery but i think it's performed more often than indicated
0: okay so for the the patient or soldier who has had the that type of uh low-level injection, um, which help temporarily, they should probably come and see a physical therapist to s- set them up for
1: some longer-lasting plan, yeah, like a long-term management plan. Okay. And the key to everything, so physical therapy-wide, anything we do is temporary benefit. The thing that makes the biggest difference in the long run is education and exercise, all right? And so no matter what the problem is for any body part, Educating the patient how to manage it, what's going on, what they need to do to take ownership of it, and helping them create a movement plan to restore whatever's not working and get back to what they want to do, that's the thing that is going to work weeks, months, years down the road. Nothing that he or I do hands-on in that visit that first day is going to completely fix the problem, but it may make them better temporarily, and if that creates more buy-in and the patient likes how they feel, they're more likely to engage in the plan that you've outlined for them, then it was worth it. But it's not, I don't want to see the same patient once a month for five years, but I'll see them once, you know, every a few days a week or a couple times a month for a few months to create some momentum and get them feeling better and improving, and then we pat them on the back and say, good job, and, and set them free.
0: Got it. Okay, moving back to uh, the physical therapy myths, um, and you spoke to this uh, quite a bit throughout this conversation, but... Uh, physical therapy is just exercise based. I know I've heard you mention education quite a bit. Um,
1: I think physical therapy we are movement experts. We are rehabilitation experts. And I think, like w- what I just said, that exercise is the biggest piece of that. But that's not all we do, right? I'm not a trainer in the gym telling you what exercises to do to make your, you know, your biceps feel better or look bigger. Um, and, you know, I mean, and we have physical therapy assistants who are, you know, our enlisted service members. They are exercise experts as well. You know, they're trained to oversee an exercise plan and move it forward. A physical therapist is... It, it provide, our biggest skill and what we offer the most is the ability to evaluate a neuromusculoskeletal condition and, un, and determine its underlying causes, whether that is, you know, what impairments the patient has, why are they feeling this pain, what is, how did it get to this point, and what is the plan to move forward. And we educate the patient on, on our findings and the process moving forward. And so that is – and if that's all I do – if the best thing I do for a patient is explain to them why they're hurting, and and, and what they can do to feel better, and then show them some exercises or, or some other recommendations to get better, then that was a successful visit.
0: Last myth, once you're discharged,
1: you're done. Ideally, but that's rarely the case, <laughs> or not often the case. Um, it, it, it depends on the setting. Whatever, what do you mean by done, right? Because done means are you never come back to physical therapy. Well, oftentimes they get referred back repeatedly for either the same issue or different issues in the military. Now, are you done feeling pain? Probably not. We talked about earlier the biggest predictor of future injury is past injury. And so hopefully they're done. If it's a, if it's a recent issue or this acute problem we've been talking about, hopefully they get better in a few weeks and they're back to normal. We're good to go. These chronic patients that get into this fluctuation, right, where they – have some steady level of pain all the time but they have occasional flare-ups and then they feel better. Do they come and see physical therapy once in a while to help with those flare-ups? I think that can be appropriate. But when we start to see these patients who are non-responsive to care and especially, you know, at the junior soldier level who've come in to see me for their knee pain they don't get better in three or four months and they disappear for a while and then their PCM just sends them back to me again and I'm like what am I going to do different this time I've already seen this patient we go through it again and they don't get better and then what we don't like to see is them have to repeat that wheel that's not efficient for us and it doesn't help the patient that's the patient that needs to go to the next level of care or talk about the Nibler process well the
2: other part of this <clears throat> that you've kind of already touched on is you have an injury you go to physical therapy you get better and then you get the pain comes back you don't necessarily have to go back to physical therapy if you just you know, start doing the things that help you with the pain in the first place. Being done doesn't mean that you don't come back. It means that you are, it, you're, a lot of times you're just never truly done with physical therapy. It just means you have to do it on your own now.
0: Got it. So, um, what are some of the benefits of physical therapy beyond just rehabilitation, if any.
2: No narcotics. It doesn't involve. It's a way to treat pain that does not involve narcotic pain medications, and they have their place. And I use them every day in the ER. But it's like you know, gunshot wounds, car accidents, um, stabbings. Uh, that's
1: not that's, my not my back hurts. Not, not I my back hurts. Wrong. Right.
2: Like I <laughs> like other things. Uh, so they they're never going away, and we're always going to use those for pain, but. It's a way to treat chronic pain without taking medication.
1: I I mean, benefit, it's quality of life, right? You're trying to get a patient, a patient's coming to see you because something is hurting or wrong and they can't do what they want to be able to do. And we're trying to restore them to do the activities they want. And so... That's going to have positive effects on their physical activity. That's going to hopefully have positive effects on their mental health and, and in their, their social health because they're able to be more physically active and engage in their activities, whether that's social or fitness or whatever that looks like. And so I think the effects of being – I think it's pretty clear at this point that physical activity has a wide-ranging level of – positive effects on on health and and personal well-being at large there's pretty much not anything that physical physical activity doesn't make better right from mental to spiritual to physical to you know medical whatever that is physical activity helps it all physical therapy helps you become more physically active if you've had a reason that you've stopped being physically active due to pain or or injury Um, now there are some patients who don't want to be more physically active you know in our older population they something hurts they just want it to stop hurting you get it to stop hurting They don't really care to walk more or or move more or anything. They just want to go back to their normal life. And that's fine, too. They've they've met the goal they want, right? And that's why it's important to understand what a patient is seeking when they come and see you. What do they want out of this encounter and how do you get them to that level? It's not not always worth it to try to push them beyond that, but you want to at least meet their goal.
0: Okay. Okay, final question. Um, Very basic. Where and how um, can soldiers take advantage of physical therapy services? Here
1: specifically? specifically, Camp Camp seal? seal. Here and just in general. general. Um, Well, every military installation will have at least one if not several physical therapy clinics. I know we've talked a lot about direct access, but honestly the easiest way to see physical therapy is to talk to your primary care provider because that's usually the person you have a better idea of where they are and how to get to them and, and they can refer you to see me. But the, if necessary, you can always come to the physical therapy clinic directly and, and ask to schedule an appointment because in, in the military we are allowed to see patients without a referral. And so,
2: Here's the simplest answer to this question. There's always going to be a um, clinic scheduling hotline that is for the entire base and every base that you're at um, and you could just just Google the appointment scheduling hotline uh, I don't have any stock at Google um, and um, look up that number and then call them Of course it's during business hours because uh, it's usually bankers hours for, for that kind of stuff uh, but they can tell you uh, one who you're in panel to, where your clinic is at, the address of it, the phone number, they can tell you all those things. So that's just a really simple way of, of doing that is like, what's the clinic scheduling number or the central appointment hotline?
0: There it is. Well, do either of you have anything to add to this conversation?
1: I think i spoke my piece. Nope.
0: Great. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us that's once right, again. Right. Uh, Once again, I'm Specialist Linwood Thomas, and this has been a Rock or Something podcast.